Welcome to Together, Sharing This Resurrection Life. This is a podcast with sermon series for small group discussions. Be sure to check out the show notes for a reading guide. I encourage you to jot down a few notes after you listen to the sermon. And then there's also a link to click on when you meet together as a small group that you can submit your attendance and any questions that you might have to me, Pastor Hagen, and I will follow up with you personally. Please come join this resurrection life together. This five-part sermon series is from Pastor Mike Novotny, entitled, You Reap What You Root. Our introduction for sermon number two, Gather, goes like this. You are not an accident. You are not a slave. That's what God wanted his people to remember every single week of their lives. The Sabbath day commandment proves that knowing God as your creator and savior was one of our Father's highest priorities for our weekends. In the same way, we gather each week to celebrate those same timeless truths. God made us. God saved us. Those facts produce joy and peace deep in our hearts, fruit that feeds us throughout the week. You reap what you root. Pastor Mike Novotny, number two. Hey everyone, good evening. Uh, If we haven't met just yet, I'm Pastor Mike, one of the two campus pastors here. I'm excited as we continue what is one of the more important sermon series of our entire year as we talk about the mission of our church to help you plant roots in Jesus uh, so that the Holy Spirit can produce incredible fruit in you. As we prepare our hearts to hear God's word, uh, would you join me in a word of prayer? Let's pray. Uh, Dear God, we are gathered here, uh, as Pastor Michael said, not out of guilt or obligation, but out of anticipation. Because you made a promise, and the one who promised is faithful. Uh, You say that your word is powerful, and it's living, and it's active. You say that faith comes from hearing the message, and your word will never return to you empty, but will achieve sooner or later the purpose for which you sent it. And so we come tonight, Heavenly Father, with ears to hear. Whatever you want to change in us, correct in us, whatever comfort and forgiveness you want to speak to us, speak it boldly and speak it clearly, that we might be changed we might be filled with love and joy and peace as you so uh, dearly intend. Thank you, God, for our church. Thank you for this chance to worship. And we ask this all, Jesus, in your incredible name. Amen. 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 <laughs> so, Pastor, why do I still have to go to church? The 18-year-old asked me. A couple weeks ago, a graduating senior from our ministry a young man who had been raised in an incredible family, he had the the courage to call me up and ask that honest question, Pastor, why would I still go to church? And he gave me uh, permission to share the conversation with you. He said that he and a bunch of his classmates who had attended a Christian school for years, if not a decade plus, teenagers who had been sitting in, in chairs like this, in a church like this, for not one or two years, but for many of them, 18 plus why would we still go? They asked each other. And he told me as they sat around the campfire and and honestly wrestled with that question, why our freshman year, throughout our college years, would we keep coming to a place like this? He said, not a single guy in that circle could come up with a compelling answer. See, that young man had heard me talk many times in our church about this picture that we love to put up, that roots produce fruit. That if you want spiritual fruit in your life, like 
like love for people or joy in your connection to God or, or peace with your conscience or self-control against sin. The way that fruit comes by God's economy is by having roots, by gather, group, grow, give, and go. But his honest question for me was the first one. Does it really, Pastor? If I really want peace with God and join my life and self-control against temptation, do, do I have to gather? He, he said, our classmates realize that we have been hearing the same stuff for years and our teachers told us we should keep going to church to grow in faith, but we've, we've heard everything. So why would I still go? You know, I give that young man an incredible amount of credit for being humble and honest enough to ask his pastor that question. And it's a good question because if you haven't had to wrestle with it yet, you will. Or some of you care very much about, will wrestle with it. I mean, if you're a teenager here, that the time is coming when mom and dad won't be able to tell you what to do, when you'll get your own place or you'll go off on campus and you'll have to decide, is it still worth going to church? Maybe if you're here just to, to hear the kids sing or you're here stopping in with your boyfriend or girlfriend, you're going to have to wrestle with that question. Well, why would I come back? If by chance you're not even here today, you're just watching this on TV or listening to a podcast, you're going to have to wrestle with that question. If God gives me the health and strength to attend a church next Sunday, why would I go? And I know I'm a pastor, and it should seem so obvious, but as I was thinking through that question, in modern times, it's actually a better question than ever. I mean, people are busy. I don't know how busy people were a hundred years ago, but if your profession is anything like mine, it's, it's busier than ever before. About 50 years ago, the U.S. government predicted that advances in technology would mean that the average U.S. citizen would work about 20 hours a week. And if you haven't figured it out, they were dead wrong. <laughs> we work and we work and we work and the 40-hour work week for many people is a thing of the past. 50 hours in the office, then we bring our phones home and we return emails in bed on Saturdays and Sundays. And, and sometimes, you know, that block of time you have on the weekend is, is all you got to unplug and relax and, and coming to church is hard. Used to be a generation ago that, that Sunday was like a Sabbath day, a, a sacred day, an untouchable day, but... But no longer. Now, if you want your kid to play varsity sports, he's got to start in club, and club doesn't take Sundays off, and so there are tournaments and there are commitments. We scramble throughout the weekends, and sometimes Sundays is the only time to get stuff done around the house. Sometimes we're just exhausted, our friends are in town, or we're having a good time, and coming to a place like this is hard. We're busy. And not only that, but perhaps now more than ever, it's easy to replace what happens here in the comfort of our own homes. You know, I think about those five roots, and, and I've realized that we can do almost all of that without being here. With the rise of social media, you don't need to come to church to find a spiritual community. You can connect, post Bible passages, pray for one another, and encourage each other digitally without stepping foot in a place like this. And you can grow. I mean, you can listen to this very same message in the comfort of your own home. You could podcast me at double speed, so it'd be over in half the time. Uh, you could do devotions. You could open the YouVersion Bible app. You could hear better preachers than me and better music than this without stepping foot in this place. You could find the playlist for the songs that we had in worship. You could play them not once, but five times throughout the week. You could go online. You could give electronically. And you could go and share your faith with a thousand people without being in a place like this. You know, 500 years ago, when people didn't have a Bible in their hands or their homes, it might have seemed like a necessity to come to a place like this where, where the book was chained to the church. 
but not anymore. We have 24-7 access. So the question the kid asked me is a good one. Do I have to? I mean, is church just a nice thing for people if if it works out? Or is it really a necessity in my spiritual life? Do, Do I have to have that root to produce all this spiritual fruit? I'm glad he asked that question. And it's a question I want to answer with with you today. Before I share with you what I shared with that young man before he left for his freshman year, I, I want to dive into just one chapter of the Bible that gives us not one and not two, but three solid answers to that question. Why gather? We're going to travel back about 3,000 years to the ancient songbook of the Bible, the book of Psalms, to a time when God inspired an anonymous author to give us great reasons to gather together in a place like this. It's called Psalm 92. You can find it smack dab in the middle of your Bible. And it begins in a really, really interesting way. Now, let me show you the introduction to Psalm 92. It says, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. That's interesting. There are 150 songs in the book of Psalms, but that is the only one that begins with that specific title for the Sabbath day. And if you know much about the first pages of the Bible, you you might remember that Sabbath is a Hebrew word that means rest. And when God gave the Ten Commandments to his people, when he rescued them from their slavery in Egypt, he commanded them to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. He didn't suggest, he, he ordered them to take one day, Saturday, every week to rest. No going to work, no returning emails on your tablets or or even did it back then. He said, I want you to rest. I want you to gather with the people that you love and I want you to remember. I want you to gather and remind each other of the God who gave you rest. The God who created you and rested on the seventh day. The God who rescued you from Egypt so you wouldn't have to work 24-7 for your slave master, but he gave you a chance to breathe because you're forgiven and loved and redeemed. And what's interesting is that throughout the entire history of the Bible, from start to finish, that's what God's people did. They gathered on their Sabbath. Throughout the Old Testament, every Saturday, they would pause their schedules and they would gather together in God's name. Even in between the Old and New Testament, when God's people were scattered to all different nations, they invented something because they couldn't all gather in Jerusalem to worship. It was called the synagogue. Synagogue is a word that literally means to gather together. By the time the New Testament comes around and we read about Jesus, it says he would go to the synagogue, quote, as was his custom. Jesus was in the habit, the custom of gathering together to hear the word of God and to sing his praises. And the rest of the New Testament gives us the proof. The the reason your New Testament is so long with books like Romans and Corinthians and Galatians and uh, Ephesians and Philippians, Colossians and Thessalonians is because God's people gathered. For thousands and thousands and thousands of years, they got in the habit of doing something just like this on a weekly basis. They gathered. Sometimes it was Saturday for some of the New Testament Christians. It was Sunday to remember the day of Jesus' resurrection. Sometimes it was in a church, sometimes in house churches, sometimes the temple in Jerusalem. But for all of history, God's people got into this habit. They, they gathered. But the question remains, why? <laughs> why did God command it? And why was it the custom of Jesus to do it? And why did Peter and Paul and all the people who came to follow Jesus follow in those footsteps? Well, that's what the rest of this psalm is going to answer for us. 
We're going to find in this psalm actually three reasons to gather. And if you're taking notes in your program, that's what I want to share with you today. As we walk through the three stanzas of Psalm 92, we're going to find three powerful reasons to keep doing in the future what we're doing right here today. So if you're ready for the first reason, uh, let's jump into Psalm 92 and we'll start with the first five verses. The psalmist says, it is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name almost high, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night to the music of the 10 stringed lyre and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. How great are your works, Lord. How profound your thoughts. So the psalmist says, it is good. And then he gives us a theme, right? To make music. It is good, he says, to make music to the music of the 10 stringed lyre. He talks about the melody of the harp. And he sings for joy. And this first compelling reason that he gives is not what I'm doing now, but what we've just done in worship to sing. Because there's something, there's something powerful about music, isn't there? 500 years ago, Martin Luther said that the second best gift that God has given to humankind after the Bible is music. Is the, the way that we're wired to enjoy music. Your, your genre and your style might vary. Your radio station might not be the same as mine. But there's something something powerful about music. And it's true not just out there in the world, it's true here for the people of God. Two, three weeks ago, I met with a woman from our church family who's going through a pretty tough time in her life, with her family and relationships. Uh, And she talked to me about how much it meant to to gather here week after week. And I I remember her quote. (laughs) At one point she said, Pastor, no offense, which I'm always interested to see what people say after <laughs> passing off. It's like, you're, you're, you know, your messages are nice, but the music, <sighs> and I wasn't offended one bit because I often feel the same way. <laughs> I mean, sometimes a sermon hits home, but sometimes if the sermon misses the mark, it's, it's the song that gets to our heart. Because every marketer knows, like there, there's something about taking those same words and putting them to song that buries them deep in our heart. It's why preschool teachers like my wife turn everything into a jingle or a song because it might go over a kid's head, but if you can make it memorable in music, it will bury deep, deep in their hearts. My, my daughters in the back of the van last week were singing a random song about adverbs and adjectives and verbs. <laughs> they never would remember the English lesson, but you put it in song and they remember what all those things mean. And how powerful is that when it comes not to nouns and adjectives, but to sin and grace? How amazing, as the psalmist says, when we can sing not just about the things of this world, but the love and the faithfulness of God. When we can talk about the thoughts of God and the works of God and what God's hands have done and the the gladness of the deeds of the Lord, we can talk about profound spiritual things and put it to music. It has a profound effect. In fact, what happens is fruit. I wonder if some of you up. Bible Yoda experts in church today notice that. We've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit today. Did anyone notice something about the the passage behind me? I'll give you a clue. Look one more time. Love, faithfulness, and joy. Three of the nine fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. 
What happens when we make music together? What, what happens when we sing is that the Holy Spirit produces fruit. <laughs> but hold up one sec. <laughs> if you're a more logical thinker here today, you, you might realize that I haven't exactly answered my original question. Because the question was, why church? And the power of music and singing the praises of God is something you could do at home, couldn't you? I mean, you could take the same song from tonight's service, you could find the playlist online, you could YouTube it, you could worship, you could like find lessons to learn how to play the 10-string lyre, and I mean, you could do verses 1 through 5 in the comfort of your own home, couldn't you? And the answer is yes, and I hope you do. If 10-string lyres are still cheap, I don't know, I haven't bought one in a while. We call that the grow roots, but... But there's still something powerful about being here and singing together, and you know it. In fact, let me show you one picture to, to prove that you know it. This picture. Why is it that some of you would battle the crowds and wait in line and pay 40 or 60 or $100 for good tickets to your favorite band? Are they going to play some shocking new music that you've never heard before? No. <laughs> For free, you could listen to all the favorite songs. You wouldn't have to leave the comfort of your couch. So why, why do we do it? Why, why here in this city, Appleton, Wisconsin, every August do tens of thousands of people pack downtown for a festival called Mile of Music? And you know the answer. Because part of music's power is what happens when we sing it together. When it's not just you in the car, it's not just you in the shower. When, when there are dozens, if not hundreds, if not thousands of voices joined together, there is power in song. And you've experienced that, right? You ever been to a church service where nobody shows up? It's like the, the snowstorm or the game is on at the wrong time. There's like six people scattered throughout church. It's really awkward when you sing. Or you ever been to a service when everyone sings? When people are singing out and, and it's not just the sound of your voice and it's not just the lyrics of the song. It's something about the energy in the room that, that takes our emotions and our heart to another level. And that's so true here. I mean, when I come to church and I get to sit way up in the front, sometimes in the middle of a song, I'll just stop singing and I'll listen to you. And there's something so powerful about hearing you sing about the love and the joy and the faithfulness and the works and the words of God. There's something incredible, right? When we hear all the voices of the kids who aren't just sitting and scaring at a screen and they're standing on their chairs and they're singing praises like, Jesus loves me. When I hear my sisters in the faith, like <laughs> belting shamelessly the words of the God who saved them, there's something powerful. And, and come on, isn't there something when guys sing? <laughs> we, we guys don't sing over a lot of things. We don't break out in like musical numbers throughout our week. But when, when the men sing, when we care this much about the sound of our voice and we care this much about the salvation of our God. There's something powerful about a bunch of dudes who shamelessly lift up the cross in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's why we gather. And by myself, I, I might forget how powerful the name of God is. But when we remind each other that grace is amazing and how sweet the sound, or in Christ alone my hope is found, when we lift up our voices together and remind each other how great thou art, God, when we sing, there are 10,000 reasons to bless the Lord because of this reckless, crazy love of God that leaves the 99 to come after us. When we sing, what a, what a beautiful name it is. And our future, our hope 
is in God alone, when every voice joins in song, there is incredible power. (laughs) Back in the 1960s, there was this famous preacher and some people asked him if they could record his messages for the radio. And, and you know what he said? He said, only if you record the songs along with it. Because he knew that the message was only half the battle. And yeah, we love podcasts and, and we support media ministry. But there's something extra. When we can combine the songs and the prayers, the confession, the creed, and the message that focuses us on the love of God. So if you're taking notes, here's the psalmist's first argument. Why would we gather? Because gathers music, produces love, faithfulness, and joy. Three of the nine fruits of the Spirit. Which brings us to reason number two. Psalmist continues in the second stanza with these words. He says, Senseless people do not know. Fools do not understand. That though the wicked spring up like grass and all evildoers flourish, they will be destroyed forever. But you, Lord, are forever exalted. For surely your enemies, Lord, surely your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. You have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. Fine oils have been poured on me. I hate that that's in the Bible. My wife spends too much money on essential oils. But there it is, people. Fine oils have been poured on me. My eyes have seen the defeat of my adversaries. My ears have heard the rout of my wicked foes. It gets intense, doesn't it? I mean, there's music and there's joy and there's love and there's faithfulness. And then he comes back in the second stanza, evildoers, enemies, wicked foes, evildoers, enemies, wicked foes. I counted seven to eight times in just a few verses that he talks about those who oppose the kingdom and the name of God. But I'm glad he wrote it because you've, you've sensed that too, haven't you? That there are people who do not support the name of Jesus and they don't live out the love of Jesus. And and sometimes, as he said in verse 6, they seem to spring up and they flourish. Go to your job, walk the average high school hallway, look at those who are popular and powerful, and it's not always the people who love love or the God of love. Sometimes it's the arrogant athlete at a high school who's so full of himself and tells everyone how great he did last Friday night that gets all the girls' attention. And the young man who loves God and humbly tries to serve him gets totally forgotten. Sometimes it's the mean, skinny girls who who gossip and spend way too much time in front of a mirror, who turn heads as they walk down the hallway, while the young woman who is so passionate about Jesus and so faithful in prayer, no one even asks her to the homecoming dance. Sometimes it's the politician that lies and covers up, who, who deceives and spins every story that ends up in a position of power while justice is trampled and, and good people suffer. And it happens to you too, doesn't it? I mean, some, some of you have told me about going through a divorce and you try to be humble. You try to admit to the judge in the courtroom that it wasn't You know, it wasn't totally one-sided. There were some things that you did wrong. And what does your ex do? He and his lawyer pounce on the information and they spin it and and you suffer in profound ways because of your honesty. Evil flourishes. And some of you honestly, you know, you want the comment section to be a place of honest dialogue online. 
And so you try to be meek and humble. You try to seek first to understand. It's the people that leave the caps lock on and blow it up that get all the attention. Or you go to a job interview and you try to be an honest person, that you don't just have these strengths in this resume. You have some honest weaknesses that you want your employer to know about. But it's the person that like fakes it and, and photoshops their resume, that acts like the perfect employee that gets the job ahead of you. Sometimes you do the right thing and you don't win. Sometimes nice guys don't finish first. But what does the psalmist know? That even though evildoers might flourish, in the end, only God will be exalted. In the end, all the wicked will be scattered and and God and his faithful people will triumph in the end. God knows that lies will not win and racism will not win and bigotry and hate will not win and injustice will not win when everything is done, when the score is finally settled, only Jesus and his people will win. Which is one of the many reasons why, why these people gathered. You might know one of the ugliest parts of America's history is when evildoers flourished by breaking the backs of God's black sons and daughters. But what happened after the work on the plantation was done is miraculous, if nothing else. Read the history and you would find white plantation owners who said they were Christian would would open Bibles and force their slaves to come and worship. They would take passages, twist them out of context, and, and wicked preachers would tell them that kidnapping, racism, torture, abuse, and oppression was actually the will of God. But you know what happened after the sermon was over? Many of those slaves would gather. When the master wasn't there to twist the scripture, they would gather and they would remember the stories they heard about the God of of this book. The God who once saved his enslaved people in Egypt. The God who said that justice would roll like a river. The the God of Dr. King and and so many like him who lifted up people who were impressed and victims of injustice and told them that judgment is coming. Evildoers might spring up, but, but in the end, only God will be exalted. And there in broken down old cabins, they sang Negro spirituals. They gathered together and what they might have forgotten out in the field by themselves, they reminded each other that evil will not win. Be faithful and endure to the end because he who stands firm will be saved. I I pray none of you ever have to go through abuse like this. But, But you know what it's like to do the right thing and not be rewarded to stand up for Jesus and not be applauded, to try to choose the path of righteousness and everyone accuses you of wrongdoing. And that's where the psalm is golden. And when we gather together here, we remind each other what we might have forgotten out in the world. After six days of of headlines, of of spin and politics, of, of drama, racism, and injustice, we might think that evil will have the last word and we're filled with anxiety and worry, but here we gather and we say, no, no, no. Only Jesus, our hope, our future is in Jesus. That one day oppression will end. That one day Jesus will return. That one day every wickedness will be called to account and every person who has suffered for the name of God will be exalted. And as we remind each other that in in the message that we speak to one another, what happens? Peace. And the patience to suffer another day with faithfulness.
write down our second answer from the psalmist. He would say that we gather together because gathers message produces patience and peace. Which brings us to our final stanza. In the last words of the psalm, the psalmist breaks into perhaps his best words of all. He says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no wickedness in him. (laughs) I almost don't have to preach it, right? What happens? We flourish and we grow and we flourish again and we bear fruit. We stay fresh and we stay green and we find that we have this rock. We become like a cedar of Lebanon. You know what that means? Uh, My friend Muhammad uh, is from Lebanon and and even still today, like in biblical times, the cedar trees grow grow tall and they last long. A hundred feet tall, some of them over a thousand years old. The very cedars that built the temple in Jerusalem in the days of Solomon. That's what you become when you gather. And do you notice where it happens? In the house of the Lord, a place like this. In the courts of our God, a gathering like this. <laughs> and did you elderly Christians notice when? Still in old age, we stay fresh and green. <laughs> the metabolism slows and the weight starts to creep up. The salt overtakes the pepper and no one wants to hire you, but you can still be fresh in the eyes of God. If you're planted in his promises, you can still have, have peace and joy in your life, even if your best days seem to be behind you. And did you notice why? Because here as old and young gather together, we proclaim the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There's an old hymn that says, on Christ, the solid rock I stand because all other ground is shifting sand. You ever notice that when when you leave church, everything is like shifting sand. You you, you thought you're going to do this this week and then it shifts on you. You, You thought your boss was going to tell you this and then she shifted on you. You you thought your health was like this and it shifted on you. There are so many what ifs and and what abouts. We can never be certain. We can never have that fruit of peace in our life until we remember that God is our rock. That Christ alone is our cornerstone. That Jesus made a promise to us that he would live a, a perfect life in our place and he did. That he would die on the cross so that you wouldn't have to live with a scarlet letter on your chest. And he did. That he would conquer death. So if you're this close to death, you wouldn't have to be afraid of it. And he did. That he would ascend to the right hand of God and he would rule your city, your block, your street, your zip code, and your home for the good of his church. And he is. Out there, there is nothing that's certain. And and no wonder we live with anxiety and fear. But here, we remind each other that there is a Messiah, a Christ named Jesus. And he is faithful to every promise that he has made. And so what do we learn from the final verses? We learn this, our our third and final points. That gathers Messiah, Jesus Christ. It produces fruit. The fruit of peace and joy and love and faithfulness. And that, that, brothers and sisters, is why we're here. That's why I hope you come back. So I hope if you're listening to the sound of my voice as you drive down the highway, you come for the first time. Uh, that's what Letitia told me. 
Uh, Leticia is one of the many incredible people that serves on my sermon research team. Do you know I have that? So every time I preach, I send questions and bounce ideas off about uh, 10 people from our church. They give me new things to think about, new perspectives. And, and I asked our sermon research team about this. Why do you do this? And let me show you what Leticia said. She said, not being at church feels empty and wrong. Not in a guilt type sense, but in the most important part of the week is missing kind of way. <laughs> I love that. Not some preacher twisting your arm, beating you over the head with a Bible, but how could I miss a chance to remember how incredible God is? Actually, I didn't finish Letitia's quote. Here's what she said next. <laughs> she said, I like to be like a squirrel in church. I'll bite and hoard all of the fruit inside my cheeks for a later date, unquote. <laughs> that is an incredible quote. You know, sometimes the message doesn't get you today, but you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. And sometimes the song doesn't give you incredible peace in the moment, but it'll come into your mind on Wednesday when that unexpected news hits. And like spiritual squirrels, we stuff as much Jesus in our cheeks because we know sometime during this week we are desperately going to need him. So here's my question. What's your next step? Here for those listening online, maybe your next step is to find a church. This one or some other that lifts up the name of Jesus and get connected. For some of you who are here today, maybe for the first time in your life, you're just going to decide that this is the Sabbath and you will keep it holy. That instead of figuring out next weekend if you're busy or if you have time or if people are going to be around, this is just going to be a rock-solid part of your schedule and your calendar because you believe that you would miss something really important if you weren't here, that this root produces incredible fruits. And if you're ready to make that commitment, I want to help. Here's my promise to you. Next week at church, we're going to have it at the same time. (laughs) And the same place, (laughs) the same day of the week. So we'll be here with Jesus if you're ready for more of him. But what about for those of you that I see every Sunday? What's your next step? Well, maybe here's one idea. What if you studied the words of one song before you came? I've noticed this about music, that it can move my heart and it can become my favorite tune, but instead I actually stop and read the words, I miss about 90% of what the author was trying to communicate. We publish our, our playlist, our song list, uh, days before the Sunday service itself. What if you went online and you just picked one of those songs and you read the lyrics and you found the meaning so that when we sang it and we lifted up our voices, we weren't just reading from here, we were singing from here. What about those of you with kids, if you would make a playlist of all four songs so that when you came to church, instead of zoning out and waiting for the pastor to be done talking, they would stand up and they would sing because they know these lyrics and they know this God. I don't know what your next step is, but, but I know this. That that root, if you give it enough time, will produce incredible fruit. And that's what I told that 18-year-old. Pastor, why, why should I keep going to church? Here's my answer. I said, you, you know, you're right. You know a lot about Christianity. But Christianity isn't just about what you know. It's about how you love. Jesus said that the two most important things for a human being would be to love God with their whole heart, 
to treasure him and trust him above anything in this world and to love every single human being, every neighbor as themselves. I told him, you have no clue. You have no clue this next year how many things will compete for first place in your heart. How many things, popularity or money or privilege or status or a career or money will fight to take the throne from Jesus in your heart? And you have no clue how hard it's going to be to love. To be on campus with Christian and atheist, with Muslim and Buddhist, with LGBTQ and pansexual, with people who love the church and who hate it, with men and women, with young and old, with Republican and Democrat and Libertarian and everything, you have no clue how hard it will be to love everyone as much as you love yourself. So man, here's what we're going to tell you. If you want that kind of fruit, don't forget about the root. Your mom and dad have given you 18 years of roots in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if you have any faith, it's because of that. So don't uproot yourself and expect the same amount of fruit. But if you're ready to have faith and joy and love next year, like you have this year, keep your roots. Now that young man isn't here today. He's on, on campus. And, and I pray that this podcast is, is not his only connection to Jesus. I pray today and next week and next month, he's planted in the house of God. Because here's what I just learned. Those who are planted in the house of God will flourish. Even into old age, they will bear fruit. So brothers, sisters, if you want more fruit, do not forget about this gather root. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for church. I thank you for people who modeled this as, as not a burden and an obligation, but a privilege. A chance to bless other people and to be blessed by other people. I thank you, God, for everyone who's here today. They may not know it, but, but I was encouraged. I, I worshipped you. I remembered how worthy you are of all my praise because of their voices. And it would not have been the same without them. And so I pray, God, that we would see this as a high responsibility and a great opportunity for our faith. That we gather here today, not just for ourselves, but for people who are struggling. People who need to hear the sound of our voice. For young men who come to church who don't have a father in their life and it's going to be the guy who just happens to sit behind them who sings in his deep voice the praises of Jesus Christ. The person who feels guilt and shame for their sexual sin and they show up and see a sexual sinner and know that there is hope in Jesus Christ. For the person from a recovery group who sees that familiar face from the weekly recovery meeting and they know that if they can be saved, maybe everyone can. And so I pray God, every week until our health makes it impossible that we would gather here today, that we would believe you, that this root produces incredible fruit. I thank you, God, for our church. I thank you for everyone who encouraged us to be here. And I pray that you would now keep your promise that this word would not come back empty, but it would change us in time to your glory. I pray all these things, God, in your incredible name and everyone who agreed with this prayer, joined their voices and they said, amen. Amen. Devotion and commitment to saving us. We ask it all in his beautiful name. And all God's people who loved having good roots, they joined their voices and they said, Amen. Amen. Amen.